with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now if you'll turn with me to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to begin our reading at verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in the eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So far, the reading of God's Word. What I want to do tonight is go backward in the Catechism, for I did not finish Lord's Day 30, 
but pushed on into 31, 32, and 33. But now I want to catch the last part of Lord's Day 30. That is questions 81 and 82, found on page 18 in the back of your Psalter. Question 81, for whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? Answer, for those who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ and that their remaining infirmities are covered by his passion and death and who earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more holy. But hypocrites, and such as turn not to God with sincere hearts, eat and drink judgment to themselves. Question 82. Are they also to be admitted to the supper who by confession and life declare themselves unbelieving and ungodly? And the answer is no. For by this the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore it is the duty of the Christian church, according to the appointment of Christ and his apostles, to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven till they show amendment of life. Loved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 30 deals with the question, who are the worthy partakers of the Lord's Supper? For whom is the Supper instituted? In other words, the Supper is not for all. It is only for conscious True believers. Question 81 discusses this subject from the viewpoint of the individual believer. But question and answer 82 from the aspect of the institution of the church. Who should come and partake? Who should be admitted by the church? We do not allow for open communion. We do not allow for pedo communion. In case you're wondering what pedo communion it is, it is infants participating in the supper by eating and drinking. And the question comes, why? Or why not? Do you know why we do not have open communion? Do you know why we do not allow our children to partake of the bread and the wine? They are with us in the worship service. They hear the word of God with us, but they are not allowed to partake of the supper until they come to years of discretion. So notice with me the proper partakers of the supper Who are the proper partakers, first of all? How does one evaluate? And then thirdly, who oversees the table? As I said earlier, positively, and then we're going to look at it negatively, positively, proper partakers are are sincere, conscious believers. Who are these sincere, conscious believers? They are those who know their sin and are truly sorrowful for their sins. They have a personal knowledge. Their conscience accuses them of their sinfulness, their personal sins. And yes, they even enumerate them before the Lord in their prayers. 1 John 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth 
is not in us. They know their sins. They enumerate their sins. They bring their sins to God's throne of grace because they hate those sins. They know that they have sinned against the living God. They abhor themselves because of those sins and they repent in true sorrow for God. Yes, that's what we need to do. We confess our sins before God and mankind. We read in 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the result. We confess our sins. He forgives us. And he will work in us by his spirit to cleanse us from those sins. More and more we hate those sins. We flee from those sins. Second of all, proper partakers are those who trust that their sins are forgiven for the sake of Jesus Christ. They believe that faithful promise of God. That when we repent and we believe, our sins are forgiven. And those sins are forgiven only for the sake of Christ's passion and death. It's nothing that we have done. But our sins are blotted out because Jesus Christ came and took our sins and our guilt upon himself. And he died the death that we should have. And thus, in spite of our own conscience accusing us, and I hope your conscience is not dead, that my conscience isn't de- is not dead, I hope that our conscience always keeps on accusing us. And although all these infirmities of our flesh still lay in us, as, the, as our form so beautifully put it, we are, we are by God's grace, perfectly righteous before God. That is the way he sees us in Christ Jesus. The filthy rags of our sins stripped off from us, and you and I bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he clothes us. We don't stand naked before him, but we're clothed with the dazzling white garment of Jesus' righteousness. In the one wedding parable of Jesus, where those who were invited were given garments. And sad to say, one of those who attended thought he was good enough. His own garments were good enough. And he was cast out. We are, in God's sight, spotless and blameless because he sees us in Jesus Christ He sees us in the righteousness that Christ has imputed to us, dresses us with. And that's the only way that we can have fellowship with the Lord at his table. For the Lord will not sup and dine with the wicked, but he sups and he dines with those who are his Those who know their sins, hate their sins, flee their sins, trust in Jesus Christ alone, clothed with Christ's righteousness. Thirdly, positively, who are the proper partakers? Those who earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened. Is that you? Is that me? Is that your prayer on Saturday night or Sunday morning as you prepare to come to church? Not just for the pastor that he may have a good delivery, but that as you sit there and you hear, just as I have to hear, that my faith will grow stronger. For we are like the man who said to Christ Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. We desire not only to have our faith more strengthened, but also then our lives to be lived more holy. 
We're not satisfied with ourselves. As the Catechism puts it, we have only a small beginning of obedience and when our conscience accuses us, and if we do that examination, yes, how small our obedience is. If I had to be assured about my salvation by looking at my works, I would tremble. I will look at my good works only to be assured that I have faith, that there is, by Christ Jesus, that desire to live for him. That is the seal, that is the test of true sorrow for sin and trust in Jesus Christ. My faith strengthened, and my life then producing the fruit of that kind of faith. That is the fruit of true sorrow and faith in Jesus Christ. A life lived not for ourselves, but for Christ. As we sang, give me that single eye, thy name be glorified. So that's positively the proper partakers of the supper. Now negatively, the supper is not for all. The Lord's Supper is denied to hypocrites. Who are hypocrites? Hypocrites are those who look good on the inside, but are unclean in the uh, in, No, those who are look good on the outside, but inwardly they're ugly, unclean. They wear a mask. It's all appearance. That was the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They would strut in front of the people. And as they would pray and as they would give their tithes and live their lives, they wanted the people all to say, oh, look at Mr. So-and-so. Isn't that a devout follower of God? They are not lovers of God, but they are lovers of self. That person is known as an unbeliever only to God and himself. Because you and I cannot see the heart. All we can see is the outward appearance. And masks can cover quite ugly people. Make them look presentable. Perhaps, boys and girls, at times you like to wear a mask. Do we merit wear, wear a mask to each other? Can we be ourselves? What we are seeing in the congregation is that the way we behave to our husband or to our wife? Is that the way we behave as children in the home or in the classroom? Is that the way we behave in our businesses? Do we wear, like to wear masks covering up an ugly heart? Hypocrites are warned by God because that's where the church really can't know the heart, can they? They can only hear what the person says with their mouth and see the life or the mask that one wears. But second of all, negatively, who are the proper partakers of the table? The supper is denied to those who do not turn to God with sincere hearts. They are not upset with their sin, but they have a pet sin that they want to pet over and over like you might pet a cat or a dog in your house. They want to cuddle that sin up to themselves and not let go of it. That is their distinction from hypocrites. Hypocrites try to look good, but these, they don't turn to God in sincerity because they refuse to turn from their sins. Rather, they think that God should owe them something of what, for what they have done. That pet sin that they don't want to let go of, that's so hard. That pet sin, perhaps, not that we fight against and hate, but we're petting like a cat or a dog. That walk in sin, that denial of God might be a temporary one in their life so that for a while they are a backslider. 
But during that period when they are a backslider, then too, they are warned against coming to the table until they show amendment of life. But it's not only the backslider, but it is also, Father, uh, those who are unbelievers. Maybe raised in the church, maybe Christian parents, maybe a Christian wife or husband, or Christian parents. Question is, are you a believer? Are you a true believer? Do you know your sin and hate it? Do you trust that Jesus Christ is the one Savior for sin? Do you love him? Do you cling to him? Do you believe in him? And do you want to live for him? All those who do not love the Lord, who do not fight against their sin, but walk in sin willingly, are warned according to the Catechism and are warned according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that they eat and drink judgment to themselves. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body, and we're going to discuss that more, more later on. But thirdly, who are the proper partakers? We've looked at positively, negatively. It is not hypocrites. It is not for the ungodly, unrepentant. And thirdly, it is not for baptized children. That is Article 61 in our church order. Those who come to the table must be a confessing member of the church. And why? Why? Because they must discern the Lord's body. And we're going to look at much more of what that means later on in the sermon. Children are unable to do that. Think of a little infant. Without knowing, he puts all kinds of things in his mouth, whether it be the dirt on the driveway or maybe a butt of a cigarette. They don't know any better. Or as they crawl around or as they start stumbling as they walk, they go up to the fireplace or the hot stove to touch it. They don't know better. Baptized children must become mature, that is, be indoctrinated. That means that they understand what sin is, why sin is so awful, why they must trust in Jesus Christ alone, and must desire to live a life for him. But you say, but our children are baptized members of the church. And yes, they are. They are members of the church. Someone else says, but in the Old Testament, the whole family ate the Passover lamb, didn't they? Yes, they did. But what's the connection? The Passover was one of the many feasts that Israel had. The Passover was not a sacrament. There are only two sacraments. They are in the New Testament where Jesus Christ commands his church to baptize our children and to remember his death till he come again by coming to the Lord's Supper. And that, young people, is another reason why you are urged to make confession of your faith when you arrive at years of discretion. You don't say, well, it's good enough if I believe, if I come to church. I don't have to make confession of my faith. Yes, you do. Because Jesus commands his followers, remember me, remember my death, and show forth my death till I come again by coming to the Lord's table. Why are children not allowed to partake? They don't have that power of discernment yet. In the supper, the participants are active. You see, in their baptism, our children are passive, aren't they? 
Our children don't know what's going on here. They don't understand what's going on except some water is being put on their head. It is the faith of the parents that they bring their children for baptism, but in the Lord's Supper. Each one of those who come to the table are active, saying, yes, yes, I take all of my sins and I hate those sins and I lay them before the cross of Jesus Christ. I believe, I trust in him, I love him, I want to live for him my life. Conscious believers, let a man examine himself And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. That brings me to my second point. How do we go about and evaluate whether we are proper partakers? Well, we come to the the supper. We come to that understanding whether I am a proper partaker or not by the way of proper examination. And what is this examination that we do in this coming week? It is not an examination of whether or not I should come to the table, God forbid. As believers, we should come to the table. But is there some sin in my life that I am petting like an animal instead of letting go of? Am I really trusting in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, or am I also trying to say, but Lord, I'm a pretty good person, better than so-and-so or so-and-so. Proper examination. Scripture demands that kind of examination. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So not examine whether I should come, but rather, am am I a proper partaker? Am I those who hate my sin? Flee from my sin. Go to the cross of Jesus alone, desiring to live for him. Lamentations 3, verse 40. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. What a powerful message that was of Jeremiah to God's people in captivity. Let them search. Why are they in captivity? Why did the Lord deliver them up to their enemies? In order to chastise them, to winnow them, that they might turn away from their sin, from their idols, turn again to the Lord. Or if we jump a little bit further in the Bible, if we go to 2 Corinthians Chapter 13, we read there in verses 5, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye are not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Examine. What belongs to that examination? What are the desires of your heart? What are the thoughts of your mind? What are your longings and your aspirations? What are the words that tumble from your lips? What are the actions that take place? Maybe when no one else sees it in the home. A husband and wife, parents and children, the business place, the classroom, the playground. It's an examination of ourselves. Notice not the 
lives of others. Isn't it always more comforting us to look at others to find their faults? Whether it be as a husband of his wife or a wife of her husband, whether it be of children of their parents, well, look, you do this and you do that. Looking at others instead of ourselves, that's not the examination that you and I are called to today. Examine your own heart, your own mind, your own speech, your own actions. I must examine me. All those things, all those things. And the examination there is not to see if we're saved. And we examine ourselves not in order to have faith, but we examine whether we are in the faith, whether we are living in the faith, whether we're living in all godliness. Examine. So you say, well, how does that exam take place? In school, you young people, you just had your teachers hand you exams that you would have to answer questions and answers. But here you do not deliver up an exam paper that teachers or human beings give to you, but rather God gives you that exam. It is God himself and it is God in his word that must be the examiner. Isn't that exactly what the psalmist was praying? Why would he pray to the Lord in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and show me the sin in myself. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. David is speaking there to his son Solomon. And thou, Solomon, my son, Know thou the Lord, the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. There's two things in that examination. A perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth our hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of our thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if ye forsake him, he will cast you off forever. The Lord knows. The Lord sets his word before us that we may do that examination of ourselves. And may the Lord show us our sins that we may repent of them. And may the Lord show us our lack of faith that we want to grow in our faith. May the Lord show us how in our lives we are missing the mark that is glorifying God and aiming instead at sin and Satan itself. Psalm 44, verse 21. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Do you see the difference between the Pharisee who would search and as he searched himself, he says, what a jolly good guy I am. The Lord ought to love me. I'm thankful I am this way. But you and I, who allow God in his word to search us out, he who knows the secrets of heart, he shows us our sin. And as we heard this morning, we are humbled. Pray, beloved, as we did at the beginning of our worship service and as we'll end it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, my thoughts, to know. And if in any evil I walk, yes, turn me, O Lord. When our life when our thoughts, when our actions don't match up with what God requires of his children, what God enables his children to do, we need to repent and turn to the Lord. 
So our examination should not be, shall I come or shall I not come? But rather, may I come worthily? I know myself as a sinner who hates my sin, and I trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, and I want and I desire to live only for him. Where our lives do not match what God wants for us, repent. Flee to Christ Jesus. That proper self-examination is necessary to partake of the Lord's Supper properly. We want a worthy partaking of his supper. For that self-examination is used by God for self-reformation. We're not content with ourselves. We're not patting ourselves on our back. But rather we are confessing sinners. Humble sinners on our knees, like the publican in the temple, not daring to look up to heaven because we know our sins. That self-examination is not only then becomes self-reformation, but it's also abundantly fruitful. Fruitful for God's glory and for our growth in grace and in knowledge. Only when we look in the mirror of God's law and we see our sins over and over again do we know our utter need of Christ. Not one, not one of those commandments do we keep perfectly. There's no petting ourselves on the back and saying what a jolly good guy I am. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, and therefore I desire that my faith will grow stronger. And what is that faith? It's a union with Christ Jesus, where I cling to Christ Jesus, where I look to Christ Jesus, where I cry out to the Lord Jesus, help thou my unbelief. Is that your desire? Is that your prayer? That you desire to be conformed more and more and more to the image of Christ Jesus. Beloved, our justification and our sanctification are closely connected. They cannot be separated from each other. In what way, you say? Unlike the church before the Reformation, the church then taught by our sanctification, that is, by God's grace in our life, we start living righteous lives and therefore we are saved. They put sanctification first. But any of you catechism students in the higher grades know from the Ordo Salutis that the justification is first. And sanctification is the fruit of justification. God justifies us through the cross of Jesus Christ. God says, your sins are forgiven, and now therefore, because God has forgiven us, we live thankful lives in obedience to him. We forsake our sins, we cleave to Christ, and we pray that we may live out of Christ, for Christ Jesus. It is, beloved, impossible that those who have been implanted in Christ Jesus by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Because we're planted in rich soil. Anyone that's a farmer knows that good soil is important for a good crop. And that good soil, that corn is going to thrive and it's going to grow up and it has big ears of corn. But when you put fence posts, not steel ones now, I'm talking about wooden fence posts in that rich, fertile, muck soil. They deteriorate 
very fast. Justification. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, planted in Christ Jesus, watered with the word. We grow up, we live for him, we produce fruit in our lives. Examine that in your lives. Why this fierce examination? Who are proper partakers? Are we left to ourselves to decide that? That is called open communion. The minister will say, whoever believes or hates their sin and believes in Jesus and wants to live for him, you're free to partake. It's left up to the believer. Not so in Reformed churches. Rather, in Reformed churches, we have elders who supervise the table. That's called a guarded table, or it's called a fenced table. Unbelievers are forbidden at that table. Those who live in sin, those who confess false truths. That's a wrong statement. They're not truths. Those who believe false things are not allowed. Those who come to the table have to be one in the faith, one in the truth of God's word, one with us, not apart from us. The seriousness of the Lord's table requires that the church, through its elders, supervise that table. You say, why do some churches have open communion? Well, for many Baptist churches, where they do not believe that Christ is present at the table, it's, mem it's only a memorial. It's only like a birthday party or an anniversary. There's nothing special except it's just part of the service. Well, then anyone may come. Christ isn't there. Whereas Rome and Luther both believe that Jesus is physically at that table, the Reformed Church says, no, Christ is not physically there. Christ is up in heaven. But Christ is there. Christ is there spiritually by his word and spirit. Therefore, the table's fenced. Why do we fence that table? It's because we partake as one body. Things can be hidden, but there are other things that are seen. We can't judge the things that are not hidden, but we can judge the things that are seen as we partake of one body, there is corporate responsibility. We see that especially in the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul severely comes down on the Corinth church. Why was that? Because they were bigger hearted than what Christ Jesus is. They said, we love everyone and you may come and partake no matter who you are and no matter what you're doing. And there was a man there who was having a relationship with his father's wife. And they said, we don't care. Come to the table. Beloved, that's still taking place, and that is why we do not, as believers, partake in many different churches. Do they allow homosexuals to be members of the church and to sit at the table? And the answer is yes, there are many churches that do that, increasingly today. Are there churches that say, yeah, you may divorce and you may remarry again, and you may come to the table there are churches that say you can be union members or members of the lodge for your own economic advantages. You may come. We're big-hearted. There's room at the table for us all. 
but there is corporate responsibility. And because of these evils that were taking place in the Corinth, church of Corinth, sexual sins, but also divisions there, one eating a lot, being a glutton, and others having nothing, the Apostle Paul says, God's judged that church. That's why there's so many of you sick there in the church, and some of you have died here in the church. God's judgment comes against that church that is so broad-hearted, allowing anyone there. That was also true with Jericho, wasn't it? They were to surround that city, and the seventh day, then the walls fell down, but everything that belonged in that wicked city belonged to the Lord but one man, one man and his family, they took some of those goods and they said, we'll put it underneath our tent. The Lord won't miss it. What's a little bit cloth and what's a little bit gold to the Lord who owns everything? All of Israel was judged by God. And, twi and there at Ai, God chastised his people until that sin was, broke, uh, was brought forth. And the sinner was exterminated. Or again, let me use another illustration of corporate responsibility. When David numbered the soldiers of Israel, David did it in his pride. This is my army. These are all the victories that we have won. And now God comes to David after he walked in that sin. It was Satan's temptation to David, he's responsible, yet God, God willed that in order to humble David. And he chastised all of Israel with that three days of pestilence. How many died? There is corporate responsibility. That's why we guard that table as much as we can. No, the elders can't see the heart. But they look at the doctrine. What do they believe? Are they one with us in the faith? And also they look at the life. Are they living according to God's commandments as much as in them lies? We are called, beloved, not to keep company with those who are called brothers but are living in sin. With such we may not even eat. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 and following. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then we read there, verse 11 and 13. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. But with them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You see, it's not only here at the table then. There is to be that separation. But when a member is found to be walking in sin and does not properly repent of that sin, remains unrepentant, no, we don't act as if there's no problems, whether even they're a member of our extended family. If they are walking in sin, we have one calling. Whenever we come together, 
to call them to repentance that they may turn from their sin to Christ Jesus and then again may be included in the church of Jesus Christ. It is the elders of the church that must exercise that oversight. An exercise is supervising the doctrine and the life. For false doctrine leads inevitably to a life of corruption. Those two go hand in hand. It's also true that a life in sin is a motive for corrupting the truth. There are those who want to walk in a particular sin and so somehow they try to take passages in the Bible that speak of homosexuality and say, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's a casual kind of relationship. It's not a loving kind of relationship between two men. They corrupt God's word in order to walk into sin. The elders make it their work in love for the church to closely supervise the sheep of Christ. That is love. We need that supervision, beloved. We need that correction as a church. To know the congregation and her needs, the elders live amongst God's people. And they visit God's people. Family visitation to the sick, to the shut-ins, in their homes. They bring God's word encouraging correcting, training in godliness. For where there is no correction, but there's a continual walk in sin, there is exclusion not only from the table, but from the church of Jesus Christ. Worthy partakers. Beloved, with the word of God open before you this coming week, examine. Call God to examine and to show you your sins that you may turn from those sins and that you may turn sincerely to Christ Jesus crucified and come to the supper and say, I need thee, Lord. I need to eat, partake, nurture on your body and blood. Amen. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the preaching of the word as a means of grace. And we're thankful for the supper of our Lord Jesus, which visibly portrays the spoken word. That there is fellowship with Christ Jesus in the way of hating sin, fleeing sin, and trusting in Christ Jesus alone. Bless us then in our examination that we may come then next week worthily partaking of Christ Jesus and be richly blessed. Amen.